Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 to 18. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honoured by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. They love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. When you fast, do not look sombre like the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast... Put on oil on your head and wash your face so it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your father who is unseen and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Let's pray, shall we? Heavenly Father, we want this morning that all the glory, all the honour to go to you, not to us, Lord, but for your glory. So, Father, we pray this morning, thank you for your words. We pray that as we come to it now, you would teach us, speak to us through your word, by your spirit, we pray. Help us to see the amazing privilege we have of prayer and the wonderful grace you show us as our Father this morning. Amen. Be great to have that Bible passage open in front of you this morning. Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 to 15. So if you want to keep Matthew 6 open, page 970. Now, as you do that... I would like you to imagine a marriage. Imagine in your head a marriage this morning. I don't know what pops into your head when I say those words. But now imagine that marriage, but with no one, neither side, speaking to each other. What do you make of that? I mean, that would be odd, wouldn't it? It wouldn't be normal. Relationships rely on communication. Relationships involve speech. And that goes for our relationship with God too. 
You see, marriage is actually a really good picture of what a relationship with God looks like. A marriage is a covenantal relationship. That is a relationship that is based on promises. And as we've seen over the past few weeks, that is exactly what our relationship with God is like. A relationship based on promises. And just like a marriage, our relationship with God requires work too. What do I mean? Well, it is easy to do Christianity. It is easy to go through the motions, uh, to turn up on a Sunday morning, to tick the right boxes. But it is possible to do all of that whilst ignoring God. You see, we can do all sorts of religious things, religious looking things that others can look at and they can think look impressive. Yet whilst doing that, we can be neglecting our relationship with God. Just like a marriage where a husband and wife do not speak, it'd be odd. Now, Jesus has been speaking to his disciples here in Matthew 5 to 7, and he has shown them what they should be as they are in, as they are in the world. He has said to them that they should be the light of the world. That is, as they proclaim the kingdom of God, as they go out on mission, they are to be like their heavenly father. They are to be proclaiming, heralding God's kingdom. And Jesus has also said those disciples are empowered to do that because they have a relationship with their father. Or to use the language from this section of Matthew, Jesus' disciples, and you this morning, if you're following Jesus, you are the salt of the earth. Being salt of the earth means that we live out our relationship with God as his covenant people. We live out our relationship with God as our father. We live our lives as God's children. I mean, that is an amazing truth when you think about it. But it also means we need to persevere in it. We need to foster that relationship. We need to care for it. So how do we do that? How do we make sure that our relationship with God is kept alive and healthy? How do we pursue a real relationship with our father? That is what Jesus in Matthew's gospel here is answering this morning. And the big thing, the big point of this section, you might have heard it as it was read, is that Jesus warns his disciples not to be hypocrites. He says, beware, verse one of chapter six, be careful not to be hypocrites. You see, we started looking at this last week. Jesus speaks into three areas of Jewish religious life. Three areas that everyone at the time would have agreed are really important. Three areas that those in relationship with God need to think about. So we looked at giving last week with Sam. And this week, we're thinking about prayer. And again, Jesus wants to get the point across. When we think about prayer, don't be hypocrites. Why? Why would it be an issue to be a hypocrite? Well, because being a hypocrite is not being genuine. To be a hypocrite is to play act. It's to not be consistent, to not be as the disciples of Jesus have been called to be, to not be like our father in heaven. So we're going to listen in this morning to see what Jesus has to say about prayer. 
you could say the question this morning is this, how should we pray? Now, Jesus gives us two ways not to pray. And then he models to us how to pray. We're going to take each one of those things in turn this morning. So firstly, Jesus says, don't pray to be seen. Don't pray to be seen. Have a look at verses five and six, Matthew chapter six. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in synagogues and on street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what he's done in secret will reward you. You see, just like last week, Jesus tells us what not to be like, first of all. He says, do not be like the hypocrites. What are they doing? Well, they are standing in the synagogue. That is the Jewish religious centre. And they're standing on the street corners in order to be seen by others. They are standing in the most obvious places they can, the place that everyone can see them, and they're praying. That is what it is to be a hypocrite. You see, it'd be like this. Standing on the magic roundabout here in Hemel Hempstead, making sure that all of the cars as they're going around those mini roundabouts can see you. Yes, you praying. Look at me, everybody. Whoa, watch out for the traffic. That is being a hypocrite. That is play acting, Jesus says. Why is it play acting? Because it's not coming from the heart. It's not consistent. Just like giving was last week, this is all about caring what other people think of you. Now you're thinking to yourself, aren't you? The example of praying on the main roundabout of Hemel Hempstead is pretty ludicrous. But have you ever been in a prayer meeting? Have you ever been in a prayer meeting and found yourself in what I'm going to call a prayer circle? I mean, we all know what this is. You know the one. All of a sudden you notice there is an order to the prayer that's going on. You realise that you're, oh, I'm only three. Oh no, only two now away. You know there's an obvious order to who's praying next. As the prayer gets closer and closer to you, you start scrabbling for what you're going to say. It's difficult, isn't it? I know that firsthand. Let me tell you what goes through my head. Perhaps it's what goes through yours as well. I think to myself, how am I going to sound to the other people listening? Will everyone here think that I know what I'm talking about? Uh, Will other people be marking me down for my lack of precision? Uh, The wrong wording, uh, not articulating the correct relationships between the Godhead as I scrape the barrel of my brain for something to say. Ah, what am I doing? Do you see? It's really easy to be concerned about what other people think, isn't it? In fact, as I pray in church, I find it really difficult to be thinking primarily about God as I pray. Perhaps you're the same. Or perhaps you don't pray in public prayer meetings. Perhaps you decide, I'm not going to pray for that exact same reason. Jesus speaks to both of those things this morning. Jesus says to his disciples here, and he says to us this morning, well, don't look around. Instead, look up. Don't look around. Instead, look up. Of course, we normally have our eyes closed, so looking around might be frowned on anyway. But the point is, don't focus on other people around you. Instead, focus on your relationship with your father. Don't look around. Look up. 
See, praying to win applause from other people is what Jesus is targeting here. And instead, he wants us to pray directly to God. Instead of having an audience of many, Jesus says only care about the audience of one. Take the other people out of the equation. Instead, remember it's your father that you're speaking to. Well, how do you do that? Well, verse six. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what he's done in secret will reward you. Jesus says, go to your room. That is, go to the place where you can close the door and pray to your father there. Now, it's really important at this point to say we're not dismissing public prayer. In fact, verse 9, the prayer that Jesus gives us as an example is a public prayer. Did you see that? It is our father, not my father. And as you carry on through Matthew's gospel, Jesus is going to continue to pray in public. That is not what Jesus is talking about here. Instead, what is Jesus talking about? He's talking about our motivation. He's talking about what's going on in our hearts. He wants us to not be like the hypocrites, but instead to foster, to nourish, to work on our relationship with our father. To be consistent, or as verse 48 of chapter 5 said, to be perfect like our father is. And just notice that we're saying that we're praying to our father. This is language that pops up throughout this section of Matthew's gospel. It is relational. Praying to a father stops you praying to impress others. Now, I didn't plan this this morning, but my dad is here this morning. Thank you, dad, for being a prop. When I speak to my dad, I'm not doing it to impress other people. I speak to him because he is my dad. And the same goes for praying to our heavenly father too. He is our father. So this morning, as salt of the earth, as those in relationship with God, don't pray to be seen. Instead, pray for the audience of one. Pursue a real, genuine relationship with your father. Pray to your father. So don't pray to be seen. Secondly, Jesus goes on to say, don't pray to be heard. Don't pray to be heard, verses seven and eight. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Now, when Jesus says pagans here, he means those who are not his disciples. He means those who follow other gods. He says, don't be like them. Why not? Well, verse seven, because they babble. Now, I found out this week uh, that there is a bad writing award. There is a bad writing award that is awarded every year. It is awarded to academic books that sound impressive. But they're academic books that sound impressive, but in fact, don't say anything at all. They use all the lingo, but they don't say anything at all. So I'm glad that my essays don't get the level of scrutiny that those do. But that's what Jesus is talking about here too. You see, babbling is moving your mouth, but having little to no content to your words. That's how the pagans pray, Jesus says. It's like they're trying to crack a password, trying to get that exact combination that's going to unlock God's ear. Uh, two digits, a capital letter and a special symbol. But Jesus says here, that is not the way to pray. 
See, pagans, they use many words to try and flatter, to try and get God's favour. I mean, we all know what that feels like, don't we? When we want to persuade our parents of something or persuade our siblings to lend us something. Or maybe from the other side, uh, when you get the text message that says, hi, how are you doing? And then a few seconds later, those three dots appear and you're like, yeah, what do you want? But that's not the way to pray, is it? That is not the way to have a healthy relationship. In fact, if you do that, you're implying that God is petty. You're implying that you need to sweeten God up, butter him up before he'll listen to you. Do you notice Jesus says that is exactly not the case. Have a look at verse eight. Don't be like them. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. You see, you don't need to flatter God. You don't need to use many words. In fact, let your words be few. We can nod there, but do we actually believe that? You see, it can be tempting, can't it, to think that the amount of prayer makes a difference. Uh, That the tone of the prayer might make a difference. Uh, That the amount of time spent praying on that thing might make a difference. Uh, That the number of people who are praying for that thing might make a difference. Or perhaps we could be tempted to think that the right words, certain words, make a difference. Uh, Perhaps by sprinkling God's name in a bit more, uh, saying Father, Lord a few more times. Or using the right formula to finish our prayer. If I say in Jesus' name, Amen, does God listen more to that prayer? You see, to all of that, Jesus here says, no. Jesus says instead, simply pray. Pray to your heavenly father. Now, again, let's just get rid of something you might be thinking. This important. Jesus is not condemning long prayers, okay? I know there are some prayers that you wish that they would be shorter, but this is not what Jesus is talking about here. Jesus himself, in Matthew's gospel, we're told prayed all night. So that's not what's in view here. The point Jesus is making here is not to pray to be heard. Not to pray like a pagan. I mean, you don't have to lay out the arguments. You don't need to give God the backstory for why you're praying this particular thing. You don't even need to have worked out what you're going to say beforehand. Instead, you can simply pray. You can simply rely on God because verse eight, your father knows what you need before you ask him. This all rests on the fact that God is your father. Remember, we're talking about those already in relationship with God, those who are the salt, those who are living in God's covenant promises. And so this is relational. This is persevering in a relationship. And so God is our father. And that means you don't have to bend his ear. You can pursue a real relationship with him. You can pray simply to him. So Jesus has said two ways not to pray. Don't pray to be seen. Don't pray to be heard. Both of those things are things that we do if we want to impress other people. So what do we do instead? Well, Jesus says, instead, pray in this way. Verses 9 to 15. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly father will also forgive you. 
But if you do not forgive others their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. Now, when Jesus says these words, he is not saying this is the only way to pray. Instead, he is saying this is a model example of prayer. This is a prayer that a disciple can use as a basis for their praying. This then is how you should pray. You see, we could be good in calling this the disciples prayer. It is a works example of a prayer that someone in relationship with God, a disciple, can pray. And when we look carefully, when we think hard, in this prayer, we notice that everything that has just been spoken about comes into play. It's highlighted for us, this then is how you should pray. This, in light of everything that Jesus has just said, is how you should pray. In fact, the whole Sermon on the Mount could be said to centre on this very prayer itself. It is right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. It is right in the prime spots. Now, we spent about an hour looking at this with the kids last May, and it is online if you want to go look at that. It might help you to think some more about what we're saying. But what does Jesus show us in this prayer? Well, have a look down at verse 9. Have a look how it begins. We've said this already. It is addressed to our Father. Not addressed to my Father, but it's addressed to our Father. See, this is a family prayer. This is a prayer to be used by those in God's family, those who follow Jesus. Now, I've said this before, but I'm going to say it again because it's really important. We can skirt over one of those words right there quite quickly. We can miss just how amazing it is to be able to say that God is our father. Yet the whole of this rests on that fact. It is the relationship we have with God that enables everything in the Sermon on the Mount to follow. And right here in this passage, it is that relationship that enables us to pray. And where is our father? Well, Jesus says, our father in heaven. In the place of all power, in the place of all authority, yet listening to us. Just as his children. When you really grasp that, you just think to yourself how amazing that is. And when you think about it, it's a remarkably simple intro to a prayer, isn't it? Remarkably simple. It's remarkably direct, isn't it? In fact, it's the complete answer to what was said in verse 7. You see, this isn't the prayer of a pagan. There is no babbling. There's no flattery. There's no trying to get God's attention. This is not trying to say the right thing, hoping that God has his hearing aid switched on. Instead, our Father in heaven... This is praying simply to our Father, simply, directly. You could then divide what follows in this prayer into two halves. So you've got the your half and the our half, or the us half. The your half and the us half. You see, verses 9 and 10, they're all about being in alignment with God's plan. Do you see there, three times Jesus says, your. He's calling his disciples to make God's priorities their own priorities. Because when we pray these things, we're not praying other things. It can be really easy, can't it, to let our priorities take centre stage. How do I look? What do I want to do? It's really easy to think horizontally, to care about the things around us. But Jesus says, start with God's priorities. Think vertically, 
Align yourself with God's plan. And that's what he's praying here. So firstly, Jesus says, pray that God's name is hallowed. To hallow something, what does it mean? It means to make something great. See, as we pray this, what are we doing? Well, just like that song we sang earlier, we're saying, God, make your name known to the ends of the earth. And we're called to put our emphasis there. How does that help us? Well, it's the complete opposite of what the hypocrites were doing earlier, weren't they? What were they doing? Well, they were standing there trying to make a name for themselves by looking religious in the synagogues and on the street corners. But Jesus says, start by praying that God would make his name great. And if we pray that God would make his name great, well, we stop asking for our name to be made great. See, by praying this prayer, it's changing our priorities. We pray next, verse 10, that God's kingdom would come. The kingdom that Jesus has been proclaiming so far in Matthew. See, we pray that God's kingdom will come and remove all rejection of God's rule. That God's kingdom will come and all injustice and rebellion will be put to rest. As we pray this, we're saying that we do believe that God's kingdom is near and that we're living for it now. We are longing for God to put the world right. Again, how different that is to being a hypocrite. You see, disciples, they are living, we are living for God's kingdom. Rather than living for rewards here and now. We are living for God's kingdom where moth and rust do not destroy. We are saying your kingdom. We're not saying my kingdom. Or as we said already, we are looking up instead of looking around. We can then pray the next thing, can't we? That God's will be done. And again, what does that mean we're not praying? We're not praying, my will be done. See, as we pray this, we stop trying to be in charge. We acknowledge that God's will is best. And we want to be part of that. We're asking God to come and rule. We're asking God to bring about his plan. We're aligning ourselves with God's way. Just as Jesus has been calling us to all the way through this sermon. You know, the great news about that, the great news about all these three things is that God will certainly do them. He has promised to do each of those things. And he promises and he will complete them. See, it's easy, isn't it, to trick ourselves into thinking our priorities are most important. But Jesus here says, focus on God first, because a disciple looks up and focuses on God. And so as we pray these things, it's good for us. It takes our eyes off ourselves and all the things going on around us. It prevents us being a hypocrite, prevents us babbling like a pagan, and instead focuses us on God. And it's then, it's then and only then, that Jesus turns in the second half of this prayer to us. You see the repeated word there? The word us, repeated all the way through verses 11 to 13. And here in this half, Jesus is calling his disciples to rely on God, to rely on God specifically for life, for everything that we need, to maintain, to foster our relationship with him. In fact, Sarah has done me a great favour this morning. She has managed to produce Boaz at just the right time because it helps us to think relying on God is just like a newborn baby. Relying on God is just like a newborn baby, just like a newborn baby relies on their parents. And yes, I know I need to learn that uh, for a few weeks' time. But let me tell you, I know this already. There are two settings, aren't there? Two settings to a newborn. 
They're either completely quiet or they are the loudest thing possible. You know when something is wrong because when something is needed, they cry at the top of their lungs. They are fully dependent for life. And Jesus says here in his prayer that we as disciples are to be exactly the same. Firstly, verse 11, for our daily bread. I mean, that's so basic, isn't it? Especially when the supermarkets are open 24 hours a day. But Jesus calls his disciples, he calls us this morning to rely on God for our daily bread. To rely on God for the things we need to live for daily bread on Monday, on Tuesday, on Wednesday, on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday and round again. We are to trust that our God is a good father and that he will give us what we need. Do you remember verse 8? Your father knows what you need before you ask him. So rely on him. Verse 12, we're to ask God to forgive our debts. And that is another way of talking about sin. Our sin, our rebellion against God, when we say shove off God, I'm in charge, no to your ways. It puts us in debt to God. We should obey God. It's a given. But we don't. We take things from God, but we don't give him what he deserves. But what does a disciple do? A disciple comes trusting that God will forgive them. A disciple trusts in Jesus to forgive their sin. And they come to him, relying on him for life. It's quite interesting, actually, if you look carefully, it seems that Jesus doesn't think we're going to listen carefully at this point. His prayer also says, forgive our debtors too. Let's have a look at the text. Do you see that? As we also have forgiven our debtors This is really important to see. See, Jesus is saying we can expect to be forgiven just as we forgive others. Now, Jesus thinks we're going to we're going to skip over that bit. So he brings it back at the end of our passage. Did you see it? Verses 14 and 15 tend to get ignored. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. That's strong, isn't it? Well, to put it simply, a forgiven person forgives. In fact, Jesus has said this already. It is the peacemakers who will be called children of God. It is the merciful who will be shown mercy. This is a prayer for those who are living God's way. And so Jesus can say here, don't expect from God what you're not prepared to give to others. If you don't have a heart that is forgiving others, it is a sign that you're not rightly aligned with God. We're to love our enemies, aren't we? And Jesus says that's really important to sort out because blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. And finally, verse 13. A disciple, they pray for protection. They pray not to be led into temptation, but to be kept safe from the evil one. You see right here, Jesus is saying that the devil is real, that the evil one wants to take us off the path of following God, of maintaining our relationship with God. He wants us to question, does God really love you? Does God really have your best in mind? That might be ringing some bells for you. In fact, as we work through this entire section, 
It sounds quite similar to what Jesus went through in Matthew chapter 4. Do you remember Jesus went into the deathly place, the wilderness, and the devil tempted him? Bread, does God really love you? Well, just like that, to be blunt, the devil wants you dead. But a disciple, that is someone who's trusting in Jesus, relies on God to keep them alive, relies on God to give you life. And so Jesus teaches his disciples to pray like this. This then is how you should pray. Each and every part of this prayer is taking our eyes off ourselves and pointing them upwards. It means we demonstrate a trust in God's plan. A trust in the plan that is ultimately centred on Jesus. And it helps us persevere in our relationship with God, aligning ourselves to God's will, relying on him in all areas of life. So this morning then, how should we pray? Well, we pray not to be seen. We don't pray to make our name great in front of others. Instead, we can pray secretly, knowing that God sees. And we don't pray to be heard by others because we know that our father hears us and he knows what we need. So we can pray simply. And we can pray in this way. Pray as demonstrated for us in the prayer that Jesus taught. As I say, we call it the Lord's Prayer. It's probably because we live in a world with copyright and stuff. But you would be better calling this the disciples' prayer. This is the prayer that as we think over it, as we internalise it, will prevent us from being a hypocrite, prevent us from being a pagan. And it will mean we pursue a real relationship with our Father. So a real simple application for us all as we close. Let me actually encourage you to do that. Foster your relationship with your father. Pursue a real relationship with him. Pray. Speak to him. Make time in your day to rely on him in prayer. Show your dependence on him. Because to not have a relationship, to have a relationship that has no speech, is weird. Instead, we should be marvelling marvelling at the amazing privilege we have to have the year of our Father in heaven. Now we're going to go to the Lord's Supper in a few moments, but it'd be great to take that model prayer that Jesus taught and use it right now. Not because it's a magical ritual, not because it does anything special, but because it is a prayer that orients us to God's kingdom, to God's being in the world. So that'd be a great way to finish this sermon and a great way to start as we mean to go on. So we're going to read Matthew Chapter 6, it's up there on the screen, verses 9 to 13. Let me read the first few words and then you can join in with our Father. So this, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. Any feedback or questions can be sent to podcast at david-couch.com and I'll catch you again next time.